please welcome uh, tonight's first reader, Chris Macalino. <laughs> First, my poem is about uh, the Reuben vase. It's an artwork that has, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it has the two faces and uh, they're basically symmetrical and there's a chalice in between. Um, that's what it's about. Um, basically with this work, you can see the faces or you can see the chalice, but sometimes it, it's just about more than one meaning. And uh, it's also about the space-time continuum, this poem. I hope you like the space-time continuum. <laughs> Seamless. The figure ground chalice and its kiss belongs to us. The holy grail of problems is the continuance of choice. We'd like to see a picture. We'd like the answer to touch in a single meaning. We are not faced with a single choice, but we make one from decision to outcome. We are like grains of rice and save space. We are like grains of sand and keep time. When the Last Supper became a subject, the truth had fallen in love with the opposite in order for us to write poetry. Throughout history, soulmates met as cousins and the catalyst of destiny was an object. Proof that the image of your heart came from the heart of this universe. The mirror and the photograph is light. The symmetry and the encounter a sight. The likeness belongs like a friend. The figure grounds illusion and what we cannot yet see is the future. The level of trust lives in the scene. By the record and by memory, by reality and by dream, what happened to us stays this is the balance of forever's hardship. I will live in the ocean of a shell and choose again when hell is overdue. This kiss belongs to you. I will never take away the art and the beauty of your eyes. Thank you. Okay. Sonera, it's your turn. <laughs> There's a break. <laughs> that seems a little silly. Or I could have a sign that says break that I held up. So I'll just sort of pause a little longer and you'll know that it, that it hasn't ended on a cliffhanger yet or something. Okay. It's called Kitty. My mom was always leaving my father in small stunted ways. Upstairs so she could fold laundry and listen to Glass Tiger. Inside, so we could swing in the backyard without him blowing smoke in our faces. At home, so my grandparents wouldn't ask her why he wasn't at work. In Winnipeg, because he couldn't promise not to yell in front of Snow White and Donald Duck. Like maybe if she left him out enough, he might evaporate. But he just got louder, thirstier, more determined to take up space. On sunny weekends, he'd crank the radio scream and stack his empties along the front porch, brown scabs on the smooth white slab of pavement. Or he'd sleep stone naked in the living room, 
face pressed against the glass of the picture window, bloodshot, sallow suncatcher swallowing up all the light. My brother and I tried to watch as uniformed men loaded him into the flashing ambulance, but my mom drew the blinds and said, your dad has to go away to get better. <laughs> my mom told us, now you have a decision to make. And we had read all the Choose Your Own Adventure books. If you were smart and paid attention, you would pick the good ending. She said, your dad can come back, or we can get a kitty. <laughs> yes, last reader of the first set. Sheldon Thomas, please. never been a fan of uh, uh, dating services and things like that. But I decided to uh, take a look on the computer on the internet and see what they had. So this is called computer dating. The candidates stare out from the computer screen. Would you date Alice? Her picture features three smiling faces frozen in time. Their cheeks meld together like caramel at 200 degrees. Which one's Alice? It must be a secret, a riddle to be solved, behind door number one, two, or three. I click no. There are those who gamble, those who cautiously abstain. Would you date Anastasia? Beautiful name, though she bears a striking resemblance to Bugs Bunny. Even a carrot in hand. Oh, it is Bugs, forever looking cool. Anastasia is shy or hiding something. She likes bowling, Bach and butter tarts, thunder, lightning, corduroy, reality shows, Sudoku, and Polly Shore. <laughs> I click no. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it really is Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Would you date Caitlin? Black hair, black leather, black... Whip. <laughs> Devil eye shine red, charcoal lipstick smudged. Bring your own handcuffs, your own whipped cream. I hastily clicked no. Um, this is not bondage at 7.5% interest. My interest lies in preserving my skin until liver spots become permanent tenants. Would you date Felicia? Pleasant photograph, a winning smile, glued on the face of the toddling daughter in her arms. I'm no ogre or demon under the bed. Children are not my enemies, just my screaming tormentors. <laughs> my planet is never far enough away. I click no. Fastidiousness is a constant burden, a wishy-washy Charlie Brown impulse. I sit in a steaming bath, pruning up in contemplation. Weekly emails cut like razor blades. Your picture has been viewed by 200 women and none were interested. <laughs> thank you, thank you for further demeaning this sad and waning face. I'm glad to be thought of it all. Perhaps I'll awake tomorrow to a metamorphosis, a face in the mirror of a more appealing countenance. <laughs> 
No one that haunts even my own weary soul. Thank you. The next reader is about to step out from her position of uh, selling people books. Uh, uh, rumor has it that while she's um, uh, she's about to have a chapbook published this fall, uh, its title, its provisional title, which I'm not tremendously inclined to believe, will be Hump. Please welcome Ariel Gordon. I'm going to read, actually, a few poems to my daughter. Um, so they do exist somewhere. Um, and in the poems, every time there's a you, it's I'm directly addressing my daughter, just so you know. Now, the first one is called semioviparous, which means uh, the bearing of young that are incompletely developed, which is from uh, my 1957 Webster's New World Dictionary, which I stole from my own mother when I was 19, because it seemed like the best object in the world. It's ancient college dictionary. Anyways, one. In late spring, ponds are full of broken broom handles and sodden wrapping paper tubes. None of us believing in lurid shoots or rootstocks, flowery substance, or even babies that get up hours after birth. But out in the pasture, afterbirth cures like sausage between the bison's legs as her kinked calf hobbles over ruts and wallows. Foot sore, bored, you spin so you can fall, and you spin so you can see me again and again, and you spin to spin and fall, laureled with sear grasses, sear grasses and attention. Two, when the calf is eight months old, its head butts to its dam's udder will almost unseat her. The bison will be almost as bruised as when she presented the prairie with her bloom open and raw. Three. In late spring, ponds fill with lusty frog song, and shorebirds shriek sleek counterpoint at flashes of leg, at the eyeless lids of opening leaves, and the sound washes over me as though through skin. The pond offers marbled sheets of algae and waterweed, silence and din, and I want to stay. Your father carts you away. But you believe in me even through a screen of willow, its branches buckshotted with galls, and even that cancer shows shoots. Mum, mum. Mum, mum. Four. Out in the pasture, the bison is delivered from the sway of her pregnant sisters and stands apart. The calf, sensitive to haunch and hip, to fillips of movement, jumps as the tractor works the other half of their range as I give up and cart you off. Okay. This one's called Bug. Picnicking, fat burnt umber bugs manifest on limbs like moles after a summer in the sun. Bug, you insist, as the ladies tightrope walk my thigh and upper arm. Bug, you insist, as your pincers descend and they go still. Bugs fall from your fingers like pennies just before they slip under the surface, like raisins wet from your open mouth. 
head back, you discover canopy and leave my lap to run hatless, flanked by wasps on the patrol of the park's brindled pelt and sticky garbages. Your hair and skin gleaming in the sun, a small sting. Thanks. Next up, Christian Enright. I want your hat. Hello, hi, strange machine. I feel we're friends already. Um, this is just a very brief piece um, that's rather condensed, and, and uh, it's actually about something I don't understand, which, which tends to be, uh, uh, I wouldn't say elegiac for me, it's actually it's a rather big topic. It's about uh, Zeno's paradoxes, which sounds incredibly dull. Um, I will be extending that dullness into uh, absurdity. Uh, Zeno watches television, his inertia settling, and his undivided attention translated beside him in a house with paintings of pastoral distance. And he makes a terrifying discovery in the process while watching a game played at a stadium. How to make waves? Technology answers with a million channels, electric energy rapids over your pause button. And like a trembling model for a statue, he begins to see as a consequence the reification of time. In history, a grocery list is stored with the conqueror's impaling heel, dotting the elliptical borders of needless attainment, like this sentence. The consequence is non sequitur in space. A real adventurer now is an extinct species, a sloth of sensations clinging humbly to a branch of realism that snapped. The map of transcendence below catches ants dropping their Renaissance statues which are actually just constipated sculptures made simply by falling apart. Zeno is watching a video, a video game about surrendering, retreating and not for the consumer, that many-eyed octopi sucker full of technicolor belief and so easily swayed, and the infamous dally clock looking suspiciously encompassing, and as each, flickered into, as each image flickered into transition space, the advert of you fairy-tailed, you can imagine a museum for space itself, where the suburb is a prison just like the zoo's, and imagine time visiting an object, smile on a clock face as it moves quickly. But Zeno's mind, sick of this particular imagery and in time's race, began changing the channels as if he could eat image. A cheetah of domesticity. With blinking, the space, a fragmented representation of timelessness, suddenly made him a John Deere caught in the futurist motor car headlights, heading to futurity, passing the pre-modern man and his giant thumb. And here, internalization came to a test. What does the crash test dummy feel deeply in therapy is questioned. And it was a pause so slow that you could imagine space around it. Imagine having the time to imagine space. What a leisure. And logic gets elaborate. His only, he, all he sought was his own image to flicker, expanding like rumors in the universe sent out deep into the stars. Before he fell asleep, racing through the channels like a heroic salmon, he began to imagine punctuation and genesis. No time for a comma between light and space. No ellipsis unless light died and left a vertebrae behind for the widows of the soul, collecting black objects of vomited interiors. The list exploded with repressive adverts, and the initial colon of the universe perfected by a diva goddess who wants her mold to bud jewels, her corset to squeeze the last tremor of voice into her morning dew, and the dream censoring the possibility for ever stopping. Fluid connection makes actual space irrelevant. Actual space is where you know you don't want to be because you already got there. The last image he fell that he saw after he touched the pause button was look quickly and don't look, written in stone. Thank you. Uh, writer of one of my favorite robots, Leif Norman. <laughs> Dear Dr. Heartbreak, I am writing this letter to you because I hope you can diagnose me. It hurts when I go like this. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I forgot you can't see me because I'm writing a letter. 
It hurts when I make a heart shape with my fingers in the air in front of me. Like this. <laughs> I want to find the right girl for me. I want to see her across the room and look at her, and she will look at me and not through me. And we will see each other with our eyes. How do I make this happen, Dr. Heartbreak? It hurts when I look at a girl. I used to have a girlfriend, and she was fun and laughed at my jokes, and she smelled like freshly baked muffins, and I was blinded by the spotlight that followed her around, and her curtains went up and down for me, and only me, and she would scream, Encore! Bravo, Encore! And I would wait in the wings, and she would let me watch her take off her makeup. And the applause didn't stop, and she went out for a curtain call, and she went out for another curtain call, and she never came back. Dr. Heartbreak, it hurts when I go like this. Parenthesis, I'm making an applause. I'm seeing a new girl now. She has red hair, and she is interesting. She smells like wet roses. She slices, and she dices, and she makes me wear oven mitts and engage in heavy petting. And she really beats my eggs, and I love the way that heat makes her taste better. And she made a life-size cheese sculpture of my head, and I remind her of room-temperature coffee, and I am trying to be a full cup of hot coffee, and she lets me read her secret recipes. And when I take her top off, she goes, and she is my watermelon, and I don't even spit out the seeds, and I get energy from her hate. And I don't know where this is going. Dr. Heartbreak, it hurts when I go like this. Parenthesis, I'm making a chewing action. What should I do, Dr. Heartbreak? This is the ninth letter I have written you, and everyone tells me that you are the only one who can help me. Are you there, Dr. Heartbreak? Are you and the postman hiding under your desk, reading my letters and laughing at me? I have written all these letters in red wine and juices squeezed from dark flowers. On paper, I made myself from recycled roadmaps and parking tickets. With a pen carved right out of a sonnet haiku rhyming couplet tree from the Can't See the Forest for the Trees National Wilderness Preserve, where all the plants and animals are just a little sad. And it hurts when I write these letters. And it hurts when I lick the stamp. And it hurts when I go like this. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's send everybody home on a real low note. I got nothing new, so let's go back to this. Uh, Y'all who were here last month, this, uh, yeah, this uh, audience-assisted poem called Erotic Outtakes Program, which is very long, so in sections from 1 to 13, but not repeating the numerals 2 and 8, and then we just go, you know. So, between numbers 1, including 13, but not 2 and 8, shout something. 4. Okay, 4 it is. Your lover dumps you for his massage therapist. You could reply by eloping with the circus. You get the hell out of here, Brucey. I am no virgin. I never was a virgin. I never will be a virgin. What's worse, people who fuck you once or people who don't fuck you at all? Crying in the shower is a tradition. Repeat the word lonely to the mirror until laughter takes hold. Use a 60-watt bulb to improve your looks. Behaving like your hairstyle. Condom at work equals haggis. When Vanessa sucks Joey, we notice a continuity problem with her lipstick. What you get 
when you cross achy, breaky heart with a yeast infection? <laughs> New number, please. Nine. Nine? I heard nine first. Sorry. Nine. If love is the answer, the question is fatuous. <laughs> you took your date to the gym? <laughs> Woman, you willy? Your, your idea of an erotic image is a burning child? <laughs> a movie entitled Phallus is rated general? Will you condone a sexuality? Scott Thompson outs Don Cherry, but as what? <laughs> Sex change is a attempted tabula rasa? Would you like to 7825? Would you like to 3825? <laughs> Radical feminism, one of Air's ten components, has trouble getting a day pass. Is that a gun in your pocket, or is this a Canadian bar? <laughs> Number six. Alrighty, thank you. I mean, I'll get through all this one. Marion Morrison is made bountifully pregnant by the state. They only spawn wilding boils, boys. Utile, borderline, soaked in lime cologne, wafer mania, I do you thusly. We know them all as John Wayne Gacy. We could read it as lick my twat slave or lick my twat slave. Demonstration can feel better to her than fingers or penis. Won't give her a Demerol shot once they see her scarification marks. Vaguely congruent with diagnosis of my chronic and pain of voluntarily fleeing you plus hapless, doleful surrender to never reconnecting with your life, I felt I could not afford the loss of anything else, so newspaper stacks grew toward the chandelier, garbage stayed to make a compost drumlin, dishes rotted in the sink, impending laundry fluffed to a funk mix, and paper bred where it fell until my apartment looked like Eddie Gein's farmhouse. <laughs> your metal in my mouth. You make my nipples feel like whirlpools. You left your gloves inside me, when or if the necking stops. Gentleness does not necessarily evidence a kind person. That's it. <laughs>